Good morning. I'll begin this morning with reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. sorry we begin with our questions (laughs) and these uh, these are the questions that we'll uh, address uh, in part during our response time following uh, the bringing of the message this morning give you just a moment if you want to write those down you can uh, have those then to uh, to consider as we preach through the scriptures this morning. Why was proof of bodily resurrection a big thing to Thomas? Why does scripture use the term fallen asleep in referring to saints? I suspect you've wondered that before. Why do those who belong to the Lord hope for his coming? And why is the resurrection essential to the Christian faith? Brother Ben will come and address those with you in the response time. Reading now from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, wrote to the saints in Corinth, and God the Holy Spirit has preserved these words for the saints in Statesboro, Georgia this morning. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he, <clears throat> then he appeared to James, then to, to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about, about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his, at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then, the, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy, enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Other, <clears throat> otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up, from wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, Another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star, for star differs from star and glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable and is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. 
As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass that is saying, that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, we praise you and give you thanks for the truth of your word in the hope of the resurrection in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I will say nothing this morning that is intended to convince anyone of the reality, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For his resurrection is as well attested or better than any other historical event. Whatever event you may name, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is as well evidenced, the testimony is as complete as any historical event you might name. We gather this morning to celebrate, then, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we gather this morning in the most ecumenical of all Sundays. For the resurrection is most fundamental it is most foundational, it is most essential to claim for yourself the name Christian. Every church, every gathering, every fellowship, every congregation that would call itself Christian must, of necessity, in accordance with Scripture and the testimony of the apostles, accept, believe, preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For as we read this morning in verses 14 and 17, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is foundational to calling ourselves Christian. The resurrection is foundational to our understanding of who we are in Christ, our Christ-likeness. For those who believe, 
for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The resurrection, His resurrection, is the greatest source of hope and joy. In verse 20, For in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is a fact. This is a fact as stated by God's Word and as given evidence by hundreds of people. For Jesus walked among those who knew Him best in His resurrection. He walked among those who would know Him, who would recognize Him, who would know that this Jesus whom they knew was crucified, who was died and laid in that tomb, they would know that it was Him who was now resurrected, walking among them, teaching them anew. Save one man. And Thomas told, told the other disciples, he says, I'll never believe it until I see it for myself. And so it was that Jesus appeared to Thomas and for Thomas, what a great revelation. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Wizard of Oz? I mean, we'd have fewer hands if we said who has not seen. Right? We, we come to the climax of that movie, and what is it? They pull the curtain back, and it's nothing but an old man. No offense. <laughs> Nothing but an old man behind the curtain. Spinning wheels. What a disappointment. What a huge revelation that is just so deflating. Not for Thomas. <laughs> Not for Thomas. Jesus says, see the nail prints in my hands. Put your hand in my side. For the spear was thrust. And you know what Thomas said? The only response possible, my Lord and my God. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He was dead now he is raised. He now lives, not a phantom, not some spirit, not some ghost, but a resurrected, living Christ. My Lord and my God. For the resurrection is that which speaks volumes of the truth of who this Jesus is. For He is the Son of God. Romans 1.4 It was declared and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the, from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It is in the resurrection that Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Mary, is in fact the Son of God. 
There is no other possibility. There is no other way to claim this title with any kind of integrity. It is the resurrection that points to the reality, the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God who has come into the world in His own words to seek and to save those who are lost. Romans 14, 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Praise His mighty name. We don't, we don't typically use this term Lord in everyday language. Pastor Ben likes us to use it around him. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, just a little one. Now, we don't call people Lord, do we? And so it may be that we don't have a, have a real good handle on what it means for the one who is Lord. For this is, as, as we have, have know ourselves as sovereign grace, the term Lord is the one who is, is sovereign. All right? And this is the idea that, that he, is, he is the master. He is the one who, who establishes the right. He is the one who gives the commandments. He is the one that, is, that you are expected to obey, that you are expected to worship. And so the Scriptures lead us to the recognition that in the resurrection, as He lives again, that we must know that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Lord of some, Lord of many. No, He is sovereign. He is Lord of all. There is no other. Romans 4.25, praise God, he, the resurrection affirms our justification. Jesus Christ, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It is the resurrection in which we find the assurance, the confidence, the, the, the hope that, that we have, that we stand before the court of Almighty God, we stand to be judged by Him in righteousness. For we have been granted the righteousness of the One who lives. And so it is in His righteousness we are justified. Praise God. Not my righteousness, not your righteousness, not Mama and Daddy's righteousness, not the righteousness of any federal existence, not the righteousness of any communion, not the righteousness of any church, not the righteousness of any preacher, priest, or elder. Praise God. We are justified. We are righteous in the living God who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was delivered up for our trespasses. 
He died because of our sins. But he was raised again. Raised again for our justification. The resurrection says so much about who Jesus is. 1 Peter 1, 3. He has caused us to be born again to a, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. Oh, I, I will not speak of other religions this morning that, that have nothing but a dead hope. For in Christ we live with a living hope. A hope that is, has, has veracity, has vitality, is real living in us. The hope that we too will be raised again. Romans 8.11 He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. For as we read in verse 20, He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits are so meaningful, so so rich in, in meaning in this idea of the first fruits. For this was, this was one of the festivals, one of the celebrations, one of the holy days for the people of Israel. And it was the occasion when the harvest of the, the grain was, was ready to begin. And this first offering, the first fruits, the, the first uh, shafts that were taken from the harvest are now brought before the Lord. And this grain, the first fruits of the harvest, are waved before the Lord, acknowledging that He is the one who gives the harvest. That it is God who sends the blessing of that which, is, which provides for us, our sustenance, our life. And so it is the first fruits that are offered to God as a wave offering, it is called. But the first fruits not only acknowledge that God is, is the giver of the harvest, the first fruits are a recognition of the bounty of the harvest. The first, whatever is, whatever is the abundance of the first, right, is indicative, is evidence, a proof that there is yet a great harvest to come. How marvelous it is that we are told in Scripture that Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For in His resurrection is the promise, is the evidence of God's providence. The first fruits, what God has done in Christ, He is going to do for the entire harvest. You see, when the first fruits are gathered, the rest of the harvest is already there. It is ripe <clears throat> in the field. 
what is gathered here, the first fruits, is just a small portion of what's already rich before the one who would reap the harvest. And so we are told that as Christ is the first fruits, Jesus has said, It is finished. The resurrection of those who are in Christ is as much done as is His resurrection. It's simply a matter of receiving the bounty of the harvest provided by our Creator, our God, the Lord of the harvest. So, Christ, the first fruits of God's provision, of His blessing, which we would only have to receive. For He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. <clears throat> Throughout the New Testament, those who are in Christ, the saints, the elect, who have passed on, their state is referred to as those who have fallen asleep. This term is used, I believe, because sleep is temporary. You would not say they have died because death is permanent. When Jesus was told that Lazarus, his friend, had died, John chapter 11, Jesus said, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. Later on in chapter 11, after the disciples in their usual manner just didn't get it, just didn't understand, Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. Just, just for their benefit, so that, so that they, would, they would catch on to what was going on. But Jesus initially speaks of Lazarus having fallen asleep. Later on, Jesus says to Lazarus' sister, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Listen to the next phrase Jesus says. Do you believe this? Wow! Do you believe this? What a huge leap of faith! Your brother is dead in the tomb three days. And Jesus says, those who believe in me shall never die. And once again, her response. Yes. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you believe this? Amen. Yes, Lord. I believe. I believe that which is unbelievable. I believe that which 
which you have affirmed, which you have said, which you have promised, Lord. And so, in Christ, we never die. We simply fall asleep. not only is this sleep, not only is this the death of Christ and his elect temporary, it is in fact a prerequisite to life. We read in chapter 15, verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. This is a, a beautiful analogy that is set before us here in Scripture. For we understand the idea that that seed, that seed that comes in the packet, right, with the picture of the cucumbers on the front, nothing is ever going to happen to that seed until you tear open the package and what? You bury the seed. You plant it in the ground for it to, to bud, for it to bloom, for it to bring forth life. It must be planted in the ground. And so the analogy is carried forward for us here that the, if we would live again, then this corrupt body, the body that has brought destruction on itself, must be sown if it is to bear the fruit of life. Verses 42 and 43. So is it with the resurrection of dead, the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Christ. Verse 23. Christ, the first fruits. Then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. In the resurrection we have the ultimate in Christ-likeness. In the resurrection, we have the, the ultimate in Christianity. We are the most like Christ when we are resurrected from the dead. He is the first fruits. You know how much I love those little transitional words in the Scripture. Always pointing you to them. Say amen, Violet. <laughs> Christ, the first fruits. Then, ha, hallelujah, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. What a privilege. What an honor. What a glory it is that we are resurrected because we belong to Christ. Our hope is not in, in medical science. Our hope is not in the power of anything in this world, but rather because we belong to Christ. You, you, have, you hear every once in a while, about some rich guy that has himself 
and I'm not going to pronounce it right, so work with me here. Chirogenically, cryo. Thank you. I knew it. Cryo. Cry frozen. Right? And the idea being that, that he's, he's frozen and that someday in the, in the future they're going to unfreeze him and, and he's going to be alive again. How ridiculous! How hopeless! Of course, what's the use of being rich if you can't? For those who belong to Christ, it's not riches. It's not because God is obligated. It's not a consequence of our, our own goodness, our own decency. It's because we belong to him. We belong to him because he purchased us. On the cross of Calvary, he purchased with his blood those he would call to be his own those who would be adopted into the family of God, those whom he would seal with the presence of his Holy Spirit. These are they who can say, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How marvelous it is to belong to Christ. To know that not only did our Savior die to take away our sins, but that He was raised again that we might stand justified, blameless, covered in His righteousness before His glorious and holy throne. How real how, in fact, is the hope of those who now live in Him. Those who belong to Christ. Those who cherish the promise of His coming. Then, at His coming, those who belong to Christ. Even so, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. For those who are in Him... We are anxious. We look forward. We desire for that day when He will appear. For in that day, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Christ, we have no fear of that day as those who do not know him. For his judgment is sure. In the Revelation we read of the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. How wonderful, 
how sweet, how marvelous it is to belong to Christ, to know that our name is written down in the book of life. Those who do not know him, those who cannot anxiously look forward to his coming, those who do not belong to him, not only do they have only death without hope, but then the second death, the lake of fire. But no one, no one need ever concern themselves with that second death. For Jesus has called unto himself those who would believe in him, who would accept his gift of the forgiveness of sin, his promise of life eternal. For if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you would believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you see how, how fundamental, how foundational, how essential is the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the claim of those who would be known by his name. For he is the first fruits. And then, at his coming, those who belong to him. Do you belong to him? Let us pray. Father, how humbly we come into the presence of Almighty God with a heart that is yet rich with praise, honor, glory, worship, and thanksgiving toward you, the giver of life. We thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for the power of your word. We thank you, Father, for the communion of the saints that you have called us together. You have called us out to be a people unto your glory. Thank you for the gift of life. In Jesus' name, amen.